Let's go, here we go, let's go. Hey, how's your let going? You're five weeks in, here we go. Mary, how are we doing back there? Everything great? You're the nice woman, Mary. All right. Uh, let's pray, let's pray. Christ says, for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be consecrated in truth. We'll have to come back to the truth thing, if I can remember John 17, 19. O Lord, Heavenly Father, who in your Son has given us a pioneer of salvation and made him the true and eternal high priest and mediator of his people. Grant, we beg you, that we hold fast to him in love, learn obedience in his discipleship, and so be brought into the heavenly sanctuary through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Ghost, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you. Uh, a lot of stuff to do today. I, gotta, I might have to pause a little bit and um, catch a few things up. Let's see. I got three seats left for Italy with the wonderful Peter Ladick and Arthur Just. Here's the thing. You find three people to fill those seats. I'll take you to dinner in Rome. It's on me. We'll go someplace nice, okay? <laughs> now, I did the calculations this morning. It's a dollar, it's only a dollar eight, it's a, it's, a, it's a buck eight to the euro, which means, it was like last time I was there, it was, a, it was 140, okay? I did the calculations in my head. It's like $4,000 to go, but if you buy enough stuff at a dollar eight to, at a dollar, dollar eight to, to a euro, you can go for free. I, I, I figured it out in my head. You can make it up in volume, right? You can buy, if you buy enough stuff, the trip is free. Uh, but you do still have to give me a check to start, okay? So chop, chop on this. Here we go. Uh, I wish we'd all been ready. You want to be left behind. You don't want to be left behind. And basically look at a lot, except for you, kind sir. You lot to his left, to his left. Never want to be on the left side, right? The deacon's always on the right side, right? Alex? So, um, okay, so there you go for that. Put some money in the basket. There's hungry people. The, the township was out of food the other day, so we can't let the township be out of food. So it'll go to Milton Township Food Pantry? Yes. Is that correct? Okay, let's see. Tick-tock. There's a, oh, the, uh, you know, the, there was once um, somebody who came in, a very nice person came in to tour the church and said, why do you have the name of the devil on that pillow where the pastors kneel? And I was like, the name of the devil on that pillow... You know, Beelzebub. I'm like, no, no, it's Melchizedek. They all have kind of the same number of syllables, but it's, it really is. It's like not Beelzebub, Beelzebub, Melchizedek. I know it's like, you know, if you were just counting, but there, well, watch the sounds coming out of my mouth. So you heard about that. This was very interesting in the epistle for today, right? So Jesus just didn't make himself a pastor. Did you see that? It was very interesting. No, there was Melchizedek, and then there was Aaron, Right? Um, and then there was the high priest, and then there was Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. So, you know, it's all in the line of, and that's how you know that the great certainty with it, that everything's going to be okay for you, because it's the, it's the little baby Jesus who, in the order of Melchizedek, is. And you'll notice, if you look on the pillow, it actually gives the psalm verse, and then it's quoted again in Hebrews. It's pretty solid stuff. So, um, anyway, that was just a little aside. It's a great explanation of, of how... The Lord sends people, last of all, you know, Jesus after the order of Melchizedek, high priest like Aaron, to deliver the goods so that you can um, think things are happy and life is good. Okay, uh, so I was, uh, you know, I was away in, uh, at Ron Feuerhund's funeral, great friend of ours, and um, I happened in the line of pastors to go upstairs. I happened to be standing next to the pastor from his home church, who's an elderly guy, and this guy remembered Ron's parents, who were quite saintly people. And the guy said to me, he said, you know, Ron would come back home, 
is long after he's, you know, been to prep school, you know, been to college, been to Cambridge, been a professor. He'd still come home and preach. And he said after every sermon, without fail, his mother would pull him inside and say, Now, Ron, you didn't really preach enough law. <laughs> Which is one of the responses I've had to this Bible study. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. There is this nervousness that if we would just be a little tougher, a little sharper, a little more poke in the eye, that people would love the baby Jesus just a little more. What? So we kind of have to think about that a little bit because there is this great nervousness that somehow we've gone soft. Or when I hear a criticism of what we've been doing, really they coalesce around this notion that basically Christians should have sharper elbows. I just hardly disagree. You know, I bumped into... um, kind of a long story, I, without revealing too much, a guy who was a seminarian who actually finished a degree <coughs> and um, quit the church because he couldn't, has given up his faith because he can't reconcile the very first thing we started, which was homosexuality and Jesus and how the church treats people, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the answer first, but then we're going to go back and do a little bit. I gave you all kinds of new stuff, and by the way, there were so many mistakes in what I gave you because I was rushing. It looks like I was drunk when I was doing it. So just, <laughs> like, read past the mistakes, okay? Just take it and come back, you know, because I'm, this morning I was re- I'm just like, really? For example, all the verses are wrong because I had it in my head. I was going from memory that I was going through 1 through 9, not 9 through 14 or whatever, but... Don't worry, you'll still survive since Jesus saves you, not me. So, all right, so we're just gonna we're just kind of gonna go with this. But I'm gonna go back and do the last page or two from last time, which I sort of skipped over, and then I sort of regretted because, especially after this particular nervousness, I just am, I'm just concerned, you know. And I I just tell you the diagnosis for this is for me is original sin. It's it's pride, and it's we're in and other people are out. And by God, if we don't tell them that they're out and really make the point that they're out and erect some barriers to show them that they're out and maybe write them a letter to and tell them that we're out, they might know, not know they're out. Let me just tell you something. I assure you, they know they're out. That's the reason people don't come to church. That's why the church in America is dying. Because people are convinced that they are out. The Diocese of Springfield ran a little thing about, you know, you know, why do, you know, why don't people come to church in the Catholic churches in the Diocese of Springfield? The answer was, people feel judged. It's a really simple answer. Which is to say, this whole notion of being in and being out. Now, I'm going to cut all the way to the end. Now, this is the fourth time I've said I'm cutting to the end, but this is the end, actually. <laughs> I mean, I just honestly, you can quote me verses all day long about sharp elbows. And I, especially as a pastor, I'm very... Uh, you know, I'm haunted by this passage in Jeremiah where it says, uh, particularly to Jeremiah, but then to all pastors, hey, if you tell them what's up and they don't pay attention, it's on them. But if you don't tell them what's up, you don't tell them what time it is, it's on you. That's a haunting passage for pastors, right? But the question is, what is up, right? What is up? That's the question. And Too much of what I hear in the church is much more along the line of pride and exclusion than of humility and forgiveness and inclusion. In fact, so much so that it makes us nervous. My great defense is all the stories we've done from Jesus so far. You quote me up and down all you want about, you know, you know, pokes and sharp edges and bringing people to justice and comparisons and law. I get it. And I know it's there. By the way, Jesus knew it was there too. But when I watch Jesus move through the crowd, without fail, 
save turning over the tables, which you get to hear once a year, and being a little tough with people who really want to go back and forth and tell him he doesn't know his business. In general, when Jesus gets near to sinners, he has so much love for them that they barely notice. You would think that if holiness pulled up right next to you, you would think you would be thrown to your knees. And occasionally that happens, transfiguration. But mostly when Jesus gets near to sinners, what happens is, is they feel not excluded, they feel accepted in a way that they've never felt accepted before. You have to explain that to me before we make it our business to focus heavily on exclusion, judgment, pushing people away, and telling them that we're better than they are. It's a dangerous, dangerous game, and it's the reason the church is dying. Because whenever the church loses its focus, all you need is a dictator and a few hundred people to have their heads cut off, and everybody loses the notion that they're better and safer and longer than everybody else, right? It's all you need. By the way, there's a 60 Minutes tonight. I just saw the commercial about the Iraqis who... I mean, one of the things that's happening, the real sad things, is that um, it seems they've left a lot of the text behind. You know, you go to old churches and, you know, it seems like the, the books are systematically being destroyed. These are books, first century, second century. These are irre- icons, irreplaceable things. I mean, it's just like your heart weeps for things that people have held dear for thousands of years. I mean, people have protected these things, and now they, they're, you know, they, they're gone in a bonfire. But the baby Jesus will sort it all out. It's just that life is less beautiful. It's a poorer life than before when we don't have those things. Okay, so all of that. I'm going to take you to the point. Um, so I, I just gave you just, I gave you two, you know, I got I'm just going to, this is going to all feel like warm-up, but we're actually going to go to a text. I gave you what I think to be, which actually changed my mind uh, about sitting on a jury. I probably won't sit on a jury. Uh, haven't read this. I gave it to you last Sunday, this bit from... Uh, Patrick Henry Reardon. I was, I think I told you that I was called for jury duty. I wore a collar. I was last pick on the playground. And then when they finally picked me, the judge sort of quizzed me after this, and I didn't actually know what she was up to. But um, I guess she understood it better than I had, or perhaps it had had people there before. But it was really interesting. You know, basically I gave you this piece, but he, 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 I mean, basically what he says is, if you make it your business to hear confession, it puts you in a particular posture. The posture is, no matter what, you plead for the life of the one who's next to you. Okay, just pause and think about that. Okay, that's what happens when you come to church. Your pastor is pleading for your life. You're pleading for the life of the person next to you. Jesus, Melchizedek, Aaron, they're pleading that you would be acceptable. Next time you go to the liturgy, just kind of listen for that theme. You will hear it a hundred times. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. That's what they said when the king came to town. Kyrie eleison, fix that pothole. Kyrie eleison, my kid got arrested for shoplifting. Kyrie eleison, the king is taxing us too much, right? Kyrie eleison, save me, Lord. Okay, just listen how often we're pleading for this. I tell you, I tell you, I can't tell you enough. Yes, I understand. What God demands is important. The point is, is that everybody knows that. You don't have to rehearse old data. Mostly everybody knows where the church stands on lying, cheating, stealing, and going to church on Sunday. Mostly everybody knows that. It's not in the knowing of it. And so if it's always in this, 
you know, in the knowing of it as if people don't know it. If you raise your kids this way, they will hate you. The subtlety of being a parent is the ability to say just enough that you bump and nudge your kid back to what's most important. It is very much like that with all the people you know who feel disaffected. Okay? So the whole thing, for example, the liturgy had a great feel this morning. That's the feel we're going for. We, if you were there early, what that felt like is what, that's how we wanted to feel every week. It was like everybody was on point. Sermon was great. Liturgy came through. Jesus there was the Eucharist. Everybody did their bit. And the baby Jesus was pleading for you. And we cannot do other. Now, yes, of course, Scripture talks about the mechanics of that. But we tend to glom on to the judgmental part, I say, more than we do the forgiving part. So I had a couple of people who, who sort of said, hey, what's the deal with that margin comment? Um, and the answer is, that's the deal. Right? If you can't see yourself in court, caught red-handed, right, with zero defense, and the only possibility is the parakletos, the advocate, the Holy Spirit is going to make the case for you. If you can't see that, you don't understand what's going on here. That's the only thing that's going on here. That's what's going on. You're it. And so this notion of seeing yourself for the way Jesus sees you and seeing yourself as the same as other people, right? Because we're all lost. I mean, read that margin comment from last week. I, I mean, that's the one I gave you, the long one. That's you. That's me. That is not somebody else. And if you think it's somebody else, you should read it again because that's you and that's me. That is not somebody else, okay? That's the way it is. The other side is, and I give you, you know, I won't read the long one because you can take it home, but this short one, this short thing is brilliant. Um, I think I gave you the short one too, right? Did I give you that at the bottom? Madeline Lingle, see this? And see, this is the thing. We always want people to get their part of the law is we want people to get what they deserve, Right? Because we want the world to be fair. If you want the world to be fair, uh, you know, line up for a death march. Because when everybody is fair and justice is served perfectly, everybody is dead. All right? So this is how it works in the other direction. This is, I mean, this is the sort of thing, like, if you could write one paragraph this, like this in your whole life, you'd just say, I mean, you could die a happy man, right? There's only one purpose for punishment. Now, you think about kind of what I've described here, and think about how church people kind of go after other people. You think about what the world looks like, and you think about how there's ins and outs. And you think when people, I'm not talking civilly, I'm talking church now, when people sort of yearn for the punishment. I got this nut. The pastor in Wheaton, I think. Uh, But he writes, I get something from him about every three days. And I don't take my name off because you got to know where the nuts are so you know where the regular people are. That's all I can You need some template of nuttiness to figure out who's sane, okay? And it's every time it is just like, you know, kill the bastards. That's how it comes across. That's how it comes across every time. It's like there's us and there's them, and the only way to be free of... Jesus doesn't know anything about that. So the only purpose for punishment... There's only one purpose for punishment... And that is to teach a lesson. And there's only one lesson to be taught, and that is love. That sentence, that sentence alone, will bring you to the proper distinction of law and gospel. That sentence alone will tell you everything you need to know if you just add in the notion that God is love, and love fulfills the law. That's everything you need to know about the church in one sentence. There's only one purpose for punishment, 
God does not seek the death of any sinner, says the scriptures, as much as, he, as much as he hates sin. There's only one purpose for punishment, and that's to teach a lesson. Come back to me. I love you. Why do you turn your back to me? Why do you act like a whore? Why do you take other idols, or other gods? Why do, you, why do you worship idols? Why don't you, know, why don't you come to church? Why do, you, why do you bring sacrifices and go through the motions, but you don't really care because your lips are here, but your hearts are a long way away? Why is that? That's how God talks. He knows all that. But there's only one purpose for punishment, the fiery snakes last week. There's only one purpose for punishment, and that's to teach a lesson. Hey, I'm the Lord your God, and there is no other God. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Love your family. Be happy with what I've given you. Come to church on Sunday. Hey, and there is only one lesson to be taught, and that is love. Perfect love banishes fear. First Peter, right? Perfect love casts out fear. Somebody asked me a true story. Somebody asked me to preach on that for their wedding. And I, and I led by, this is when I was young and more sassy. I was more sassy when I was young. You don't remember that? I'm, you, you're supposed to try to, if you nod along, the building goes, doot, 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 doot. yeah, I know, just helping, yeah. They perfect love. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly right. More numb. That's one way to go through marriage, as you know. Um, you know, they said, will you preach in this text, perfect love casts out fear? I said, sure, I will. So I led with, if perfect love casts out fear, you should be very, very afraid. <laughs> okay, so that wasn't what the mother of the bride was hoping for. But I didn't, I mean, the thing is, is, if you want people to be perfect, this is going to be a loser's game, right? But perfect love banishes fear. And when we are not afraid, we know that love which includes forgiveness. When the lesson to be learned is not love, that is not punishment. This is great. It is revenge or retribution, right? That is so, that is so, like, that is so, you know, she should be a professor. She should teach theology somewhere. That is genius. If what you do, you do to others. So now think about everything I've talked about. All those people out there and how we're going to treat them. Then you think about how Jesus comes to people. When Jesus comes to Peter, when he comes, you know, when he comes to, the, to, 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 to Zacchaeus, all the stories we've done, when he comes to him. You know, what's Jesus actually trying to do? He's trying to bring revenge because Zacchaeus steals from everybody? Did he demand retribution? Is that the reason Zacchaeus gave half and then four times? Not anything like that. We know that love which includes forgiveness. When the lesson to be learned is not love, that is not punishment. It is revenge or retribution. I just, I just, I'm just going to ask you then, partly what you have now is sort of goggles to go through life. When people talk that way about those people, right? Or if you think about those other people as if they were subhuman in some way, ask yourself what you want. Is it what you want, revenge? Do you want retribution? Is that what you want? Or are you trying to do what Matthew 18 says, which is, and then you have won your brother back? Or treat him as a Pharisee and a tax collector. The way you treat Pharisees and tax collectors, at least the way Jesus treats Pharisees and tax collectors, is to sit down and have dinner with them. Be really patient with them. He's kind to them and their kids and their mistresses and, you know, all the hangers-on. And then he asks us a question once in a while. He usually tells a nice story that is true and convicting, but also lavishing love upon them, Right? Just ask yourself, when you think about other people, those, those other people, right? Those homosexuals, those extortionists, those... Pick somebody who really kind of gets you going, okay? When you think about that, just ask yourself what you want. Because you know what Jesus wants? 
Jesus wants them in the kingdom of God. Right? I mean, just I'm just I'm just saying what Jesus says. Probably the lesson of love is the most terrible punishment of all and almost intolerable anguish, for it means that the sinner has to realize what has been done, has to be truly sorry to repent, to turn to God, and most of us are too filled with outrage at rape and murder. This is why, you know, for all the stuff that's happened in America, and a lot of it needs to happen. Anger as a political weapon is always a loser's game. Because anger is destructive at its core. Filled with outrage at rape and murder to want the sinner to repent. That genius little prayer from the guy whose son was killed in Iran today. And most of us are too filled with outrage at rape and murder to want the sinner to repent. We want the sinner to feel terrible but not to turn to God and be made whole and to be forgiven. And so we show that we do not know the meaning of forgiveness any more than Jonah did in his vindictive outrage at the people of Nineveh. Okay, spin your Bible up to Matthew 18. We're just going to do this. You've all had this lesson if you went through new members class, but, you know, once probably isn't enough, and we haven't done the Gospel of Matthew, and, you know, I don't know when the last time you looked at it was, and so it's always important to look at it. This is the great text of Scripture that everybody quotes that nobody does, except for you all. You're actually quite good at this. But, you know, this, this text is quoted... This, this is probably the text that gets quoted more in the church. It's probably the most quoted and least used. Of the most quoted texts, it's the least used. Matthew 18, 15, right? So, um, just think about how Jesus, this how Jesus, and by, in the end, I'm gonna, by the way, I'm not going to get the baby Jesus on my side. By the time we're done, I'm going to have Luther on my side too, so you'll have not a leg to stand on. All right? I'm going for everything. All right, so here we go. 1815, Matthew 1815, if your brother sins against you, sometimes the Bible has, hey, that snappy study Bible you got there, does it say against you or not against you? Does it say Matthew 1815, I put you, it does say against you. So there's a textual variant there. Sometimes Bibles don't say against you. If your brother sins or if your brother sins against you and people then narrow or widen the scope of the responsibility. But the most important thing there is to actually say it's your brother. So this is in the church, okay? So first, this is an in-the-church sort of thing. So we're going to do an in-the-church thing because we've been talking about Peter, and then next week we're going to do an in-the-church and out-of-the-church, so we'll do two at once. We started by doing our relationship with people out of the church. We shifted a little bit, and we did Peter inside the church. And then next week we'll do them. Jesus sets them up right side by side. That's what will be there, okay, how we, how we talk to people. But let's just finish this thing up because churches can be rough for church members. I, you know, one of the great things about when people, it's funny because I travel now more. When I go to churches and people say, you know, how's it going to St. John? My, my answer is, it's flipping heaven on earth. I mean, I re- it really is. I mean, it's hard to describe. Especially one of the great things about going other places, even the seminary, is that um, <laughs> seriously, I'm like, man, I'm glad I don't live here uh, because uh, I miss y'all. And I come back this morning, I'm all ready to go to church because it's so great, you know? And I just, as an aside, I said to you a thousand times, I'll say it to you a thousand and one times, which is, you can have it as long as you can keep it. Like every gift of God, you can have it as long as you can keep it. If you treasure it, honor it, realize it's a gift, know that you can't generate it, but if you hold it dear and use it well, it's yours as long as you want it. I mean, the real trick for us now, you know, I've said, there's fat cow years and there's skinny cow years, Right? We're in the fat cow years. 
And everybody knows that people who have fat cows eventually have skinny cows. The question is whether you can get more than seven years out of it. Like, just think there might be nine fat cow years. That would be great. In fact, you push us out 10, 11 years, I'll be retired before a skinny, skinny cow shows his face at the door, which would be just fine with me because Bukes is young and strong and Nelson, they should be able to handle this, right? Think it all the way through. I mean, I, you know, when I go other places, I can't wait to get back here and see you. It is, it's, just, it's like heaven on earth. Why? Because you know what it is to suffer, and you know what it is to be prideful. You know what it is to live in humility. You know what it is um, to, 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 to live as if everybody has sharp elbows. And the former is the wand, right? Yeah, but if you're choosing cows, take the fat cows, right? So, yes, please. Yeah. If your brother sins against you, does not, doesn't that ask us to judge? Yes. And so, um, you know, so Jesus, great thing. So the question is, doesn't that ask us to judge? And the answer is, it does. But um, you're a sophisticated man, Nyquist. Um, <laughs> well, maybe your mother will listen in and she'll be proud. Good morning, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> she, you said that, not me. Um, Jesus does say a couple of things, which he says, you know, judge not, you won't be judged. Whew, that's good. With the judgment you judge, you shall be judged, right? Now, here's the thing. Um, judgment in itself is not a bad thing uh, because judgment goes with holiness, goes with love. What, see, what, what, what's so important is to, when all these words, so... Pay attention, your neck will learn this anywhere else, and other people who are Lutheran will deny this, except for that guy. So um, <laughs> if you learn this, all things will fall together, and you learned this in confirmation, so I'd ask you, read my mind. Oh, no, that's okay, it's spring break. Okay, so um, this is so important. This will make everything, uh, this will make all things come, come clear in the way of the law of gospel. Every word can be said. What? Can you remember, Alex? Can be said in two ways. Thanks, Alex. I know you were. I can't believe they jumped your answer like that, Matt. Give them, I mean, give people, see, that's how you love the baby Jesus and your neighbor, right? Every word can be said two ways, a law way and a gospel way. So every word can be said two ways. Jesus himself, he'll, you'll have him as your Savior or you'll have him the other, um, but you'll have him one way or the other. There's a law way which is a judgment, and there's a gospel way, which is a judgment, right? This judges you guilty, right? And this side judges you as righteous. So judgment is not in the face of it, not a bad thing. It's just how we're going to play the game out, right? So now, judge all you want all day long. And the, the, the words are the same. So if I say to you, don't commit adultery, what I'm saying to you is love your wife, give her a big kiss, take her out to dinner tonight, don't chop any more walls down in your house, make sure that you put all the wires in conduit. You know what I'm saying to you, all right? Hey, okay, okay. So, uh, yeah, I know. Because that's one way. Or if I say to you, you know, if I say to you, be happy with what you've got. Don't envy. What does don't envy mean, right? Don't covet your neighbor's manservant, whatever. What does that mean? Just be happy with what you got, man. Just with the, you know, be happy. With, it doesn't mean you can't get more. It doesn't mean you can't work hard. Whatever you've got, whatever comes into your hand, be happy with what you've got. Be satisfied with what you got. Okay, so important. I so, think I understand maybe what Peter's saying though when you tell someone you're hurting me or whatever, and they're like, "Well, that's just your 
opinion or that's not maybe you're hurting me. Good. Or, Perfect. Okay, good. Now. Yes, right. Well, okay, so um, good. So the and so you know, as much as I love the postmodern world, and I do, I love the postmodern world much more than the modern world. But it is the same relativism, which people, the final court of appeal is my own heart. It's one of the things that's the same in modernism and postmodernism. You know, from from Les Mis to the Berlin Wall, people's hearts. Were, and now in the new generation, but it was also that way in medieval times. It was that way in the garden. Okay, fair enough. Now, think back to Jeremiah. If you know it and if you tell them, it's not on you, it's on them. If you know it and you don't tell them, it's on you. So the question is, you want to tell them, but how you tell them, the great Nagelism, speak so they can hear. I went to Dr. Nagel once when I was pulling my hair out over a particular thing. And I said, you know, what's the answer? And he said, this is clearly the answer. It was like, you know, I was watching Van Gogh put this, and then it was like, and then I said, um, you know, why don't you, I mean, why don't you let him in on the answer? He said, you have to speak so they can hear. It's very interesting. I mean, it meant a lot of things like he'd come to a point in his career where people weren't paying attention to him. Um, if everybody thinks there's the smartest guy in the room, it's really hard to listen to anybody else. You have to find your openings, right? Okay, so there's a lot of how you speak. And when you speak, it's terribly, terribly important. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of art to this, but you do, in fact, have to speak. Now, if you speak and you say to people, hey, so let's just take, we've done easy things. Let's just take an easy thing like anger, right? Oh, really? Come on now. <laughs> I mean, we've done this a thousand times. I mean, you can do this. You can do this, right? We've done this a thousand times. Here, watch. This is so easy, right? So um, you get a wound, right? Right? You get wounded. That's evil. I should have put evil first. You know this. You get evil. It wounds you. What comes next? You get angry. And what's the two ways to resolve your anger? Right? You can resolve it in the way of the law. Complete justice. The problem with that is everybody at the end of the day is dead. Or you can resolve it in the way of the gospel, which is to say the little baby Jesus will sort it out. And if you choose to live this eschatologically, to live in hope, that the little baby Jesus will sort it out. You don't need to have retribution. You don't need to have revenge. If the little baby Jesus is going to sort it out, you actually get to benefit from, did you read, kind of listen to the hymns this morning and the readings? The obedience that go, comes, expresses itself as suffering, right? But you're wrapped up in the wounds of Jesus. So even though you continue to suffer, Christ also promises that you grow at the same time. There's a dozen things about, there's a dozen things in Scripture where it says, you grow up through your suffering. Wasn't it, was it Bonhaver this morning? You, know, you suffer and then you grow. You suffer and then you grow. And you turn out to be, and you bear wounds like Jesus does. And in your wounds is the glory. And you say sort of, because I was wounded, I know things I didn't ever know before. And yet you're careful like the guy about the prayer from the Iranian father who lost his son. The warning about the prayer was, don't try to institutionalize this and try to make it a this for that. Just love the people who murdered your son and let Jesus work it out. Don't try to make it a program or formalize it because then you lose the punch. And then you, you know, and then you live in hope. We spent a whole year talking about this, right? This is so, I can go into any church anywhere and do this 
Joe Holm is doing this in his church right now. I stopped and saw Joe, Pastor Joe Holm, you know, our vicar. We love him. He's great. I stopped to talk, check in with him because that's like I'm an old man now, so that's what I got to do. I got to check in with the young guys. And I sort of say, this is actually true. I mean, it's kind of what Kleinig and Nagel and Thoron do to me, which is they, they show up in my kitchen and they pour my scotch and they say, okay, let's have it. You guys who are at the men's retreat, go on, my son. Right? Which is the same thing I do. He just you know, called and said, hey, can you just come and talk? So I you know, went the long way home uh, from St. Louis and just talked to he and his wife. They, uh, Joe's, he's, it's fantastic. His church is unbelievable. And yet, of course, there are these normal struggles. You know, up to and including, a good Lutheraner said, you, can't, you can hardly believe this, your kind doesn't belong in our pulpit. Do you know that Joe is 70 miles from a Ku Klux Klan summer camp? Only the Missouri Senate could put an adopted Indian with a blonde wife and biracial kids 70 miles from a Klan summer camp. <laughs> now, what can Joe do about that? He can either be angry all day long about that, or he can love the guy, call the guy, try to get the guy back to the Eucharist, figure out what's going on. And it's extraordinarily painful for him to hear that, you know, but, hey. So there's a ways to resolve this. Um, you do offer judgment. You do actually say, this is right and this is wrong. The key, okay, so this may, and maybe this is where a little bit of the kink in the hose is. Maybe for people who are listening, part of the questions I get are for people who are actually listening who aren't in our community, who are listening. There are apparently more people listen to this than I know, so I probably shouldn't swear so much on the radio. <laughs> yeah, you missed that. So, um, I mean, here's the thing. It's not so much that we don't know right and wrong, right? And with our assertion of what's right and what's wrong, we pronounce a judgment, right? Okay. But I tell you, the kink in the hose is at the speaking so they can hear point, okay? That's the kink in the hose. And what happens is we often default to the, well, by God, this is what the church says, and if you don't shape up, that'll just be the end of you. If you don't like it, you can find another church. You've heard this a thousand times, right? Newsflash, nobody is listening. You might have been able to get away with that for the first 200 years in America, you know, 250 maybe. But here's the thing. Nobody is listening. That, that strategy has played itself out because we are only ostensibly a Christian nation. And in another 50 years, nobody will even keep up the facade, okay? So the point is, how are you going to talk to people who don't even pretend to believe the things that you did. The question was that we started with is how to give a winsome witness. Yes, you have to know the difference between right and wrong. Yes, you have to judge rightly. Yes, you have to be true. And yes, it's going to be painful. But I honestly tell you, it's because the church broadly has chosen the strategy of, this is why Pope Francis is so popular, right? Whether he's soft or not remains to be seen. He's losing a little bit of his luster because he can't be pushed quite as far as people thought. But why is that? Because he spoke so people could hear. Could, could hear right? Y'all, this is an exercise in speaking so you can hear. You had the great benefit of being around the liturgy for a very long time now. You've learned a ton. You know a lot. You're very well catechized. And yet, 
Knowing things is of the mind. The block isn't in the mind. It's not that you don't know what's right or wrong. It's that the heart needs something to love. So how do you and I speak in a way that people who don't know the baby Jesus love the things that are true? It's not, it's not about it's not about arguing people into believing. It's how do you live in such a way that people love what they see. The eye needs something to see, the intellect. And the heart needs something to love, so the will will choose it. It's that simple. It's not just a matter of showing it to people. It's showing it to them, and this is the point where we are, right? So there's the showing it. And people, anybody who wants to argue at the showing point, that's not, everybody knows what the church stands for. People know what the church says. Primarily, not exactly, but they know if they're in or they're not. They know where the line is. The question is, do they love it? And the answer is largely no, and fewer are. And so the, then the next question is, is that how do you live in the world in a way that you show them what is true is also lovable? That's the key. And that's what Jesus has been doing week after week after week after week after week. He's not soft, right? And he's not faithless. But he is, as he says, wise as a serpent, as innocent as a dove, right? It's not just saying, hey, that's wrong. It's, wow, so anger, that's wrong. It's not just saying anger, that's wrong, because some people think anger is right. It's, it's that anger, I'll tell you why anger is wrong, because in the end, if you play it out, everybody's dead. You know why else anger is wrong? It is the old thing of, you know, you drink poison, expect somebody else to die. You know what anger does to your heart? what it does to all those, it stews your brain and all kinds of things that cuts your you know, life expectancy by 10 or 12%. I can give you a thousand reasons why anger is wrong, including you're going to be sitting all alone in the dark someplace with nobody around you because the world is an angry place and nobody wants to be around it. Or to live in love is to live in community, to live in truth, to see things you'd never see, to live in hope, to embrace expectation to draw people near, to love the unlovable, to forgive things that seem unforgivable, to realize that we are unlovable and yet we are loved. you got to bring all of that when you correct people, when you judge people, when you say what is true. You have to bring all of that or none of it will be heard. If your brother sins against you, go to your brother alone and tell him his sin. That already is upside down from what the world does in nine different ways, including... The victim goes to the sinner because he doesn't want the sinner to be in sin. And he still considers the person who harmed him that deeply a brother. Right? And there's no time limit on this, so it doesn't have to be done this afternoon, and it doesn't just done once. Right? And guess what? Sometimes, if you watch basketball yesterday, sometimes it's a no-call. Sometimes people are stupid, people are mean, you, me, we do things. We, we do things that, that, that are not us. We wish we wouldn't have done, right? And we hate it in ourselves. But if everybody always gets wrapped up in every little thing they do wrong all day long, and if people are always pointing at them saying, you're my brother and so I'm going to judge, guess what happens? Life is bitter because there's never any room to recover and there's no place to retreat. If your brother sins against you, Go to your brother, just you and him alone, by the way, so you don't talk to everybody else. Because if your brother is here, right, and you tell this person and this person and this person and this person, 
guess what happens? You break every one of their relationships and suddenly they are all alone and unloved, which is what everybody fears all the time. You see, you see how all the things we've ever talked about have come together now. But it's so important that it come together in love at this point. If it doesn't work, take somebody else. Somebody else who's kind, loving, objective, smarter, better apparently than you are. Right? You're not trying to win. You're trying to win your brother back. And if it doesn't work after that, you know what you need to do? You treat him, says the text, like a tax collector and a sinner. How does Jesus... Now, we've done tax collectors and sinners. How's Jesus doing with tax... What does Jesus do? With Zacchaeus, tax collector and sinner, what does he do? Goes home and has lunch with him. Hey, I'm the guest of honor at your house. I can only have one day and you're it. Which must have just peeved everybody else, right? In town who thought they were righteous. Jesus told the story once to those who were righteous, who thought they were better than everybody else, but, right? So the whole point of this is, is I'm, I'm, this is an in defense of non-sharp elbows. This is in defense. I'm not asking you to be sloppy-minded. I'm not asking you to give anything up. But I'm asking you to understand this basic bit of anthropology, right? We see, we love, we choose. This is just basic stuff. We see with the intellect, we love with the heart, we choose, we decide with the will. The church's problem is not that people don't know. In fact, outside the church, the problem isn't that people don't know. In general, they know. The question is, is it presented as love so that people will choose it? If they don't choose it or do choose it, that's the Holy Spirit's work. That's the point where I'm always saying, tell the story and then relax. But at point number two of giving the heart something to love, every one of you is in on that. And if you don't go into it with the notion that, you know, the only... (laughs) reason for punishment is to teach a lesson and the only reason to teach a lesson is to love. If you go in with the notion that the reason to punish people is to destroy them, is to get revenge. You remember all the stuff we did when we talked about anger. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay? You know, I know people disagree with me. I get, I get cards and letters. I mean, I get this, okay? But I'm, I'm, I'm putting a line in the sand about this because every time I look at Jesus, this is what he's doing. You know? It's just what Jesus is doing. And if you do it too, you will find. You will find people, deep down, people are alone and unloved. They just want to be forgiven. They just want to be loved, right? And people struggle with their sins. They do. You know, every sinner is like an eighth grade boy. You know, they're so strong on the outside, you can make them cry in 10 minutes if you know how to do it. Bart Simpson, depressing teenagers like shooting fish in a barrel. All right? So, I mean, that, that's it. So, it's, this isn't, we got to go. But the whole point is, love is not soft. Love is pure. Love fulfills the commandments. God is love. There's nothing soft in any of that. The point is, is how Jesus uses you to express that love in the world. You know, frankly, the problem is normally with us and not with the love. And so, what I want to do is cure us and not cure Jesus. Because if you're picking and somebody needs to be forgiven... Between Jesus and you, it's not the baby Jesus. His mother raised him better than that. Okay. All right, uh, we'll do the other thing next week. But I just, I just, you know, I just want to. Rem- I love you. I remind you of this because it's all about how you go forward in the world. Just, I'm just, you know, just take the rest of your life off. 
You're, you're a reasonable adult age. Take, take the rest of your life off and just love people. Just give it a try. Let the next generation be the haters, okay? You just take the time. Just take your next 30 or 40 years. Just love people. See what happens, all right? All right, love you. I'll see you next week. Palm Sunday, got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, see you. Love you. Bye.